Welcome to the Law Firm Growth Podcast, where we share the latest tips, tactics, and strategies for scaling your practice from the top experts in the world of growing law firms. Are you ready to take your practice to the next level? Let's get started. Hey, everybody. This is Jan Roos, your host of the Casefield Podcast, and I'm here this morning with Aviva Gordon. Aviva is the owner of Gordon Law, based out of Las Vegas. Uh, She's working primarily with small and medium business owners. And I thought it was going to be a really interesting conversation because a lot of the tactics that she's working on are very different from the stuff that we're working with with clients in the consumer space. Without further ado, Aviva, thank you so much for being on the show. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. To get started, we like to do sort of a origin story of how you got to where you are today. So would you mind telling us how you got to uh, this current point? I came to start practicing law in Nevada 24 years ago and bounced around. Bounce is not really the right word, but I was with a small firm and then I went to a larger firm and then I went back to the small firm and I stayed at that smaller firm for about 15 years, which means that we survived the recession and has a very different sort of implication on the business side than the consumer side, although none of it was good for any Body. In 2015, I made the decision that I wanted to have a bit more control over the kind of work that I was doing and the approach that I was having to my clients. In fact, three years ago today, I opened my doors and really with the idea of providing comprehensive or holistic legal services to the small and medium-sized business community. So what that means is I'm there ideally from when somebody translates a good idea to the formation of a business and then goes through the life of their business. So as they negotiate things with investors or with lenders, if they're a brick and mortar business, as they take over their space, as they enter into agreements to be able to expand their space, as they bring on more employees and deal with some of the challenges about that. And my background really is as a business litigator, to the extent that litigation is necessary. I'm there for my clients on that. But I think what that brings to my clients, especially on the transactional formation side, is those documents aren't just words on a page. And I provide for them the experience of litigation to be able to say, here's why this is a particularly good or particularly bad idea. Here are the risks that are associated with going in one direction or another, and also being able to be there to the extent that something becomes disputed to be able to be that sort of one set of ears and one voice to represent a client without having the client have to retain somebody else to deal with whatever that learning curve is, to understand how the client got from whatever the origin may be to where the dispute may be, which of course can be tremendously costly, both in terms of dollars as well as time and emotion. So I have to say, as a small business owner, that's definitely music to my ears. Uh, you know, There's definitely no shortage of, of potential legal pitfalls that somebody can run into in the process of you know, forming and operating a business. I think it's a pretty interesting area that you guys are taking in terms of, of what you're doing. One of the things we like to talk about on this show a lot is sort of the importance of having a niche. And I know that you've spoken on a couple of different topics, but what kind of firms have you been working with and focusing on in terms of growing your practice? 
that requires a diverse answer because I can't say that there's a particular firm or type of business. What I can say is businesses who typically are owner-operated, in other words, people who are up to their elbows in running their businesses, regardless of the number of employees or necessarily their revenue, where you've got ownership interest in, in the operation. And for those people, they are so good typically at what they do in starting their business, in running their business. And oftentimes, those are the people that are there that turn on the lights in the morning and take out the garbage at night and oftentimes do not have either the experience or capacity or time or interest in trying to dig as deep as they need to for the proper protection of their business. Those are the types of business in terms of business sector. I've represented contractors. I have represented service providers. I have represented a number of businesses in the real estate area. So it doesn't necessarily limit itself to a particular sector within the business, but it really is that sort of owner-operator area. In addition to that, I think that the relationship that I have with my clients, or at least the one that I strive for, is unique in that I want to be a part of their business. In other words, I want to know, even before they recognize what their challenges or opportunities are, I would like to be on the ground for that. Because if I'm there in the beginning, if I have that kind of relationship with the client in the beginning, that makes it that much easier for us to be able to deal with whatever that challenge or opportunity may be. It also makes it much less expensive ultimately for the client, again, because there isn't that learning curve and because they don't have to wait till something reaches sort of critical mass before they bring in some legal professional to be able to assist them with that. That totally makes sense. It's kind of interesting the space that you're operating in. So, you know, one of the things, I mean, even outside of the legal realm, you kind of have this sort of a gulf. On one hand, you've got the big firms of the world. You've got your Paul Weisses that have this massive brand gravity that's, that's being attracted to these giant corporate clients. And then on the other hand, you have the firms that are focused on more consumer aspects of law, you know, family, personal injury, that kind of thing. You're kind of living somewhere right there in the middle where you have people that on some levels are, are behaving like consumers. There's certainly a larger volume of them, but at the same time, they're not quite in that large corporate space. You mentioned earlier that you're doing some kind of interesting things in terms of getting in front of these people. So do you mind telling us a bit about that? I don't mind a bit and thank you for asking, but may I just add one other thing? And that is for those larger firms where they're marvelous attorneys, oftentimes my clients and even other clients have, have challenges with that in terms of you think you're hiring one lawyer and that lawyer bills at a significantly higher rate than what you are prepared for. So you end up being somewhat of a, a proving ground for associates. And sometimes there's a multiplier that goes with that in terms of what the fees get charged and who it is that you pick up, you as a client pick up the phone and speak to. So that's one of the things that I try to use to distinguish myself from some of my colleagues in larger firms. In terms of the way that I get in front of people is I am very active on a civic basis within the community. And so I serve on a number of boards, including on our, our local chamber of commerce board. And I provide my input and information in the form of seminars, in the form of other means of education and informative settings. And I don't charge for that to give an opportunity for somebody who really doesn't necessarily know what they need to have an opportunity to speak with somebody or to listen to somebody. And I tailor those based upon whatever makes the most sense at the time. So for example, a couple of months ago, I provided a seminar on helping 
businesses to protect themselves from sexual harassment claims. I mean, I think there's just this avalanche, not only of publicity with respect to some of these claims within the entertainment and higher tiered business industry, but what that does is it causes smaller businesses to say, do I have some exposure for that? And what does it even mean? And what can I do? What can't I do? So I provided a seminar on that. I actively lobby our state legislature on business matters. And then once the legislature has concluded, I put together seminars on different legislation that has come out of the legislature that impacts businesses. Again, these are people that don't necessarily have the time or resources to actively lobby on on their own behalf and don't necessarily have the understanding of what that impact may be. And there's a lot of directions we can go for that. That was a pretty dense and uh, very consequential answer. One of the things you touched upon, and we actually were introduced through one of the firms that was working and getting some publicity with you. And sort of the answer that kind of came from this opportunity that may have come up in the sexual harassment space, which has obviously been a huge topic in the news over the last couple of months, is this kind of this thought of, of taking advantage of what's going on in the news cycles. And I think that's a pretty interesting approach. What other sort of news items have you guys gone after and, and how did that work out for you guys? So in addition to sexual harassment, so within the state of Nevada, recently, marijuana became legal for recreational use. And while there are marvelous lawyers who deal on the regulatory side of, of marijuana dispensaries, et cetera, there are real and meaningful impacts for businesses in terms of what they can expect, what they can and cannot do in terms of limitations or testing of their employees and what happens with the liability to the extent that some somebody who had, it was under the influence of a legal drug, still caused some sort of harm, whether it be an accident or some industrial issue. So at least within our local jurisdiction, there was a lot of talk about as of July 1st of 2017, you could legally buy marijuana for recreational use. So we took advantage of the really significant discussion about that and tried to find a way to translate that for not only our clients, but our prospective clients about how will this affect you regardless if you ever go to a dispenser, but how does this have an impact on you and your business? So medical marijuana is a pretty good place for that. A few years ago, there were issues with respect to disclosures from businesses that were in the islands and businesses that were set up in Nevada. So Nevada Limited Liability Company laws got some discussion in the disclosure of the Panama Papers about privacy and other things along those lines and the ability to have non-disclosable assets. We took advantage of that discussion as well to be able to drill down a little bit further and provide it in a way that, because you're right, it is, it's somewhat consumer-based, but to be able to provide information and resources onto a level where there is that translation from a headline to something pragmatic. Yeah, it's a really interesting strategy. And I want to kind of call back to some of the listeners. Uh, one of our first episodes we did with Michael Bell from Sullivan on Law. I mean, one of the big breakthroughs that they had was having a big content machine that was geared around um, dealing with changes in the legislation regarding workers' compensation law. And it was really when they had a big change that happened in the state of California that they were able to capitalize on that. You're three years into your practice. This is something that you guys have already been able to take advantage of. But for anyone who's listening and thinking about how they can apply this kind of thing, a lot 
lot of it is really about building these systems and being ready to take advantage of it. I mean, obviously, the first time one of these things came around for you, Aviva, it probably wasn't the best potential attack that you guys have done in terms of, of getting in front of this news cycle. But as things have gone on, it looks like you guys are getting more and more momentum and being able to, you know, grow your stature within both, um, you know, being respected by news outlets and, and the distribution for this kind of thing, as well as the immediate impact of dealing with these people that have really real questions. And it's coming at them from not only, you know, their newspaper, but if they're involved in one of these organizations that, that are affected by this stuff, it's something that their friends and family are going to be asking about them all the time. And it's a really powerful driver that they can kind of get you this micro expertise in a domain as it comes up, which can be really powerful. I couldn't agree more. And I think that one of the ways that we have been able to, you know, expand upon that is we have been able from some of our seminars and some of the other things that we've put out to be able to get media attention from it so that I'm very you know happy to be able to know that when there are issues that come up that some of the business reporters in town have questions about or want greater information about they reach out to me for that and that gives you know an even wider sort of breadth of my ability to sort of stake out that space of of being a knowledgeable resource in that particular area. Couldn't agree more, Viva. And I'd like to kind of dig down for the people who might be considering a strategy like this. If you could take us back to when you were just getting started. I know at this point, when something comes up, you've got the reporters coming to you, you've got the seminars that you can turn out, you've got you know the ways to really capitalize it. But what were kind of some of the first steps that you might have taken to getting involved with these people or organizations? So I think that the the first thing that I did was to be intentional about the space that I wanted to take, to know where there was a need and to be able to say, I am the person or my firm is the firm to be able to fill that vacuum. Beyond that, it was really just staying with that sort of dedicated message or to that dedicated audience and putting a lot of stuff out there. I put out a blog at least on a monthly basis, and oftentimes I'm inspired by whatever it is that people are talking about because there's always some legal implication from it. So putting out a blog and publishing it, sort of getting the return of that SEO from using words that are are out there in the public space to be able to drive that from within the internet universe. Beyond that, I think anybody, regardless of where they are, you have a community that has a need. And as a lawyer, you can oftentimes fill that need, whether it be serving on a nonprofit board, because they always want lawyers, they always want somebody to look at their bylaws or make sure that they have the right insurance or other things along those lines. And I think at the end of the day, the success in the kind of marketing that I do is very, very personal. It's based completely upon relationships and the ability to have sort of trusted relationships where I will meet somebody half a dozen times before they say, hey, I need a lawyer and I think you're the person that I need. So I think that for me, the success really has been in community involvement. And while there's nothing wrong with going to networking events or something else along those lines, but really making a presence within what your profession is and how your profession can be translated to the benefit of the other people that are there. Unlike some of the, you know, my colleagues that that are in the sort of pure consumer space, paid advertisement, I don't think 
would ever work for a business lawyer. Typically, people who are looking for a business lawyer are not going to do so through a commercial or a billboard or, or some other paid ad that appears on their screen. I think that it, it really comes from somebody doing searching. And whether that's searching on the internet or whether that is searching by talking to other colleagues, I have a tremendous amount of referral business from CPAs, from commercial real estate brokers, from other people that have clients that have additional needs. And when they are looking for somebody that they trust to be able to, to take that space. Absolutely. Like one of the things that keeps coming through in um, the way that you think about this is you're really taking a position of offering value first, which I think is super key from the networking perspective. I've definitely done my fair share of networking in my time. I was in BNI for a few years, and there is a clear difference between somebody who wants to get introduced to your client because they're going to hard sell them on the second call, and somebody who goes, "Hey, look, you know, we've got something we could provide to people that might be complementary to what you're doing." And if you can kind of lead with that sort of value, it's it's much easier to get that sort of uh, referral relationship going through. And um, another thing on the, on the paid ads point, so that's, you know, that's mostly where we live. And a lot of this is in this consumer law. But um, one of the things I like to say, if we end up getting a prospect who's interested in developing business law through these channels, we'll, we'll be the first to say it doesn't usually work that way. You know, the reason why this is kind of my ridiculous example is that if you end up getting a green card or a personal injury case, for the most part, it doesn't matter whether that's coming from somebody who works at McDonald's or somebody who's you know, a Rothschild. The difference between a good business client and a not so good business client can be different. I mean, you got your minnows, you got your whales. And if you're kind of just throwing a blanket out there. It's not going to be really consistent. And the stuff that we've seen definitely backs that up. It's, it's super important to when you're providing the value and stuff like that, it's, it's just a matter of time and, and the, that consistent action that ends up developing those results over time. Another thing that we like to talk about is sort of the focus of a lot of attorneys tend to avoid the focus on getting new case files, because a lot of the times it's much easier to just work on existing case files. And you know, a lot of the times we see, especially in solo practices, kind of a feast and famine cycle where posting a lot of case files or working those case files. In the meantime, while you're working those case files, you're not doing the sort of stuff that's getting you more case files. And then when those case files end up closing, then you know, you're know you back to square one, you might have a scary couple months. But um, it seems like you've gotten a really good process together in terms of how you're consistently focusing on this. And it's definitely a huge reason why you've been posting the growth that you have. Can you take us into a little bit of the day to day? What does your week end up looking like as far as the activities that you're doing to get these kind of results? I wish that I could say one week looks like another, but it never does. But what I can tell you that I think is the difference is, as you said, consistency. So I will say that consistently, I attend probably definitely four civic board meetings a month. Ideally, that's one a week. Sometimes they get doubled up a little bit. I would say, and consistently, I put out a blog and a newsletter to both my existing clients as well as to those people that I have had interaction with in, in whatever place that may be. So that, that goes out at least once a month. And I make sure that I have one seminar at least a quarter because I'm not immune to what those scary times are. And certainly during the recession, which hit Nevada a little bit harder or differently than other states, it was a really, really scary time. And from the beginning to the middle of the recession, I was very active in a bunch of high-end litigation matters. So I didn't feel sort of that drought until the tail end of the recession. But at that point, I certainly felt it. And it was a scary thing. And it is a challenge to be able to serve your existing clients and bring on new clients and to be able to allocate your time. 
But I think that it is so important for the longevity of your firm and quite frankly, for your ability to sleep well every night to not think, wow, I haven't brought anybody new in in X number of days, weeks, months, whatever it may be. And especially on the litigation side, and this case is, you know, coming to an end. So I think that it's important to be able to do that and to be able to recognize not everything is going to have an immediate return. I cannot tell you the number of times that I have gone to some meeting or event or put on some seminar and felt like, well, that was that wasn't particularly fruitful. I got really no immediate response from that. But then six months later or a year later, somebody will reach out to me who, you know, learned of me or got some of that advanced value from me previously. And I think that that for me has been very successful for sort of hedging that problem of feast and famine. A lot of the times it's tough to predict these things individually, but when you're putting in the consistent effort, you can more or less expect that, you know, at least something's going to be coming through in a given month. Yes. Now, as far as the process goes, I mean, I'm sure some people are thinking, I know I'm thinking this, it's like, you know, how can one woman do all of this stuff? <laughs> so, you know, in terms of like the, any sort of tools, people you work with, that kind of thing, how are you managing to accomplish all this stuff on your own? I've got a great marketing team and what my marketing team helps to do is a keep me on track. So if they see that I haven't put out a blog or a newsletter to give me a little bit of push, um, also to provide for me some topics that you know I may not have thought about. So the creative part is, that can sometimes be a challenge. So I've got that team for that time management, I think for anybody is a challenge. It just is. And so to be able to say consistently, it is now, you know, the second week of April, it's actually the first week, but it's the first week of April. And this is the time that I put out a blog. So scheduling that, making sure that that has the same kind of priority of of something else that does have a hard deadline. So creating those sorts of hard deadlines for yourself about things. And I will say, and it's a good problem to have, but there have been times that I've had to say to a client that currently I don't have the capacity to do something. And if it's not something that can wait, then let's try to find somebody whose hands this can go into. Typically, my clients have been able to wait, but to be able to make sure that the actual work part of being a lawyer doesn't suffer for the marketing part of being a lawyer or vice versa. Yeah. And one thing you mentioned, and this is something that's uh, vanishingly rare to hear is that we have a great marketing team. We speak to like, you know, a lot of different prospects. And most of the time, that's not so nice things to be said. But uh, considering the fact that you do have a great relationship, how did you go about finding these guys? And, and how were you able to get the trusted to go ahead and move forward with them? I suppose that their success is similar to the kind of success that I have, which is to say, I met this team through one of the civic organizations that both that firm and my firm have relationships with. And I have had known the folks from that team, I don't know, for probably three or four years before recognizing that it was something that I had needed. So that relationship was already there and that trust was already there. In addition to that, I had seen other work that they had done. And so when I sat with them for my first you know, creative meeting, I never think of myself as being a particularly creative person. I, I, I know a few lawyers that think of themselves as being creative, but it was really just this very exciting exchange of communication that seemed 
really organic in its origin as opposed to my sort of putting on my, I'm going to put on my creative hat now and this is how I'm going to design whatever marketing plan. It, it, it didn't feel at all like that. And I think that it's a real give and take. So there have been times when I have asked questions about, hey, do you think we should do this? Or do you think we should do that? And either the team will say, yeah, that's a great idea. Or they say no and give me a reason why. And then they do the same thing. Hey, do you think we should do this or that? And sometimes I'm comfortable with it and sometimes I'm not. So I know that there are other marketing folks that are out there. So on the blog side, for example, that will put together content for lawyers. For me, that's something that I have been reluctant. I mean, I've, I've seen some of that from other marketing firms. I've been reluctant to do that first. I think that for me, it's better that my writing comes from my voice so that it at least feels for me more authentic. In addition to that, I have some concern about, you know, are these lawyers that are writing or are these, you know, marketing people who are perhaps engaging in the unauthorized practice of law and what it is that they're writing? So my marketing folks, surely if I said, hey, could you write a blog for me, would. But for me, that's not something that is within my comfort area. And there's a couple of things I want to pick out from that. And one of the things is that basically it, it seems like it's a good personal fit. And ultimately, finding a firm that works for you is as much about the relationship as what they can do. And I mean, the thing is that, like, you know, it takes a good deal of self awareness to realize uh, where you're strong and where you're not. You happen to be a great writer. So, I mean, that's not something that everyone can say about themselves. And there's certainly firms out there that, that are more of uh, hands on in terms of the content they're producing. But again, that's not really the firm for you. And the thing is that when you have a firm that ends up working well with you, it's getting that relationship relationship together. And like it ends up ultimately, you're shoring up something that, that you might not be so strong at. And it's very hard, especially in the solo practices, you, you kind of get and this, you know, solo practice attorneys, as well as small businesses of all kinds, as I'm sure you've seen is uh, sort of letting go of this hero mentality of being the person that has to do everything in the business. And uh, you know, when you take the steps to end up doing that, it usually ends up clearing up doing the stuff that you're truly excellent at. And um, it looks like it's been a successful partnership so far. It has. And you're right. It is somewhat scary to, to delegate or to relinquish sort of your oversight or, or sole control of something. And that's true. You couldn't be more right if you tried about, you know, for smaller, medium sized businesses. And for me, the success in my relationship with my marketing team is that it's a relationship that they know me and what my comfort level is. And I know them and what they can do for me even if it made sense to go with paid advertising and to put my face on television, I would be so incredibly uncomfortable with that, that it would not be a viable option, regardless of how financially lucrative it could be. And, and they know and they respect that. That being said, there are plenty of times that they push me forward a little bit outside of what would typically be my comfort zone to say, hey, sit down for this interview or do this or engage in this type of activity. Because oftentimes, because of our relationship, they know strengths of mine that I would not necessarily qualify as strengths. Yeah, absolutely. And it's good to have somebody in your corner like that, that can kind of, it's definitely a touchy thing in terms of what's a healthy stretch versus what's an uncomfortable stretch. And when you find a relationship like that, that's definitely gold. And, you know, speaking to your results, the growth that you guys have been posting over the, even the first three years that you've been in, in operation, this isn't something that's very common in a lot of small law firms. If you've made that commitment and you've made the decisions to move forward and basically prioritizing the marketing is something that I feel vanishingly small solos do. And when you end up doing it consistently, 
consistently and it's something that you commit to, it's uh, it's absolutely something that's going to be bearing fruit. Thanks again for the interview, Viva. And in terms of um, who you're looking for, who might be wanting to find you, what's the best place to find you online? So my website is gordonlawlv.com. People can surely email me at agordon, G-O-R-D-O-N, at gordonlawlv.com. I would be happy to engage in conversation with anybody about really sort of best practices and ways that we can all benefit from one another. With law, with any sort of business aspect, a high tide will raise all ships. And I think that that is truly the benefit of organizations such as yours and podcasts such as this to make sure that we are all able to learn from one another and grow from one another. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Thanks again for your time, Aviva. This has been a great interview. And um, for everyone else listening, this has been the Case Fuel Podcast, and uh, we'll tune in next week. Thank you for listening to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. For show notes, free resources, and more, head on over to casefuel.com slash podcast. Looking forward to catching up on the next episode. 